Welcome to Unraveling Midlife. I'm your host, Sarah Spence. Thanks for joining me as I explore my own astrological midlife by speaking with all sorts of inspiring people about their life and work, and how what happened in their astrological midlife helped get them to where they are today. If you're new to the show, welcome. You can follow me on social media as Sarah Marlowe Spence, and you're welcome to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. As an extra bonus at the end of each show is some original music. Astrological midlife, so what's that? It relates to Western astrology transits that run from the mid-30s to the mid-40s for everyone. Each of the four main midlife transits have an overall theme, though details do vary by generation and by individual because of your time of birth. I'm right in the middle of these four main midlife transits and learning lots, especially from my guests on the show. If you're interested in more on these midlife transits, do check the show notes because we do have a past episode with, uh, with an astrologer where we delved into those specifically. But drumroll please! Unraveling Midlife passed its official one year anniversary between episodes 13 and 14, this one being 14. So happy birthday to Unraveling Midlife and happy astrological new year. When the sun moves into Aries, which it did at the equinox recently, it's known as the astrological new year, with Aries being the first sign of the zodiac. This particular show is released on the powerful Aries new moon And this interview was actually recorded the day that the sun went into Aries. So lots of new beginnings. My guest today is an incredible musician and astrologer that I have much respect for. Karen Hunter, also known as Karina, in the past known just as Hunter, uh, as Hunter Deleuze, a highly talented musical chameleon as we talk about in the interview. These days, as well as performing, which of course hasn't been the easiest with the many recent limitations on gathering with others, she teaches music online and offers astrology readings. Here is Karen Hunter talking music and astrology, two of my favourite things. Welcome to Unraveling Midlife, Karina. It's great to have you here. So tell us a bit about you. Kia ora, Sarah. Thank you so much for inviting me to come along and be part of your podcast. I've listened to bits and bits of some of the other ones just in my preparation, and I think they sound fantastic, so I'm quite excited. I am a musician, first and foremost, and a music teacher and also an astrologer. So um, I'm, I guess, a creative soul and a bit of a free spirit. I live in, at the moment on Waiheke Island. I grew up in Auckland City. And ancestrally, my people are from Cornwall, which is the southern tip of England, and also there's plenty of Irish and Scottish people in the family line as well. So I'm a Pākehā New Zealander. Like many of us. <laughs> yep, like you. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I... Just for anybody not listening, that's, you know, who's not from New Zealand who listens, that's the term that the Indigenous people, the Māori people of New Zealand used to refer to those of us who came as usually in the late 1800s, the families that came 
um, as the, the original settler families or, or those people who came back at that time and um, whose descendants have been here for four or five generations. So that's what Pākehā New Zealand is all about for anybody listening from another country, not this one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, I first met you as, as a musician. Um, I think I just bought the same guitar as you had or something like that. <laughs> Was that the little Martin? Yes. How is your little man? <laughs> oh, it's 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 gone along. It's going along. It probably doesn't get played as much as it should, but um, but yeah, I have a guitarlele to play with now as well. So <laughs> you got to service them all, eh? They all need to be touched. They all need to be played. The instruments that sit around in the room and just like look at you from dusty from underneath a pile of dust, saying, "Play me, play me, play me." Yeah, those ones. Yeah, but it's, I like having the instruments. I was talking with someone recently. We like having the instruments sitting out, so at least it reminds us that there's music, like rather than them being hidden away somewhere or or in a case. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, you, yeah. how many instruments do you play? Well, it's yeah, it's um, it's an interesting point because I get kind of excited about an instrument, and then I'll spend you know up a few years playing it and then it, I, I might not be able to maintain it and, and, and learn something else. So I've been studying the guitar mainly all my life. Like I started when I was nine and still play now. Um, but before that, my parents tried me on the violin and the piano and the clarinet. Um, so the, the, the guitar was like my fourth instrument. So I'm from a musical family. And then since then, I've also, um, I play the mandolin, the ukulele. I spent about five years learning the violin as an adult. And just that's incredible master instrument. I suppose after learning it as a, you know, as a child as a toddler you know, as a three-year-old I had always wanted to actually learn it properly so I spent about five years learning Celtic tunes on it um, a few years ago um, but it's the sort of thing that you have to maintain a lot so now I am actually studying the silver flute like the concert flute which is um yeah which is my latest um pa passion rather than the violin but I still have my violin and yes I keep it out and look at it and, and occasionally play some long notes on it so yeah, yeah well, the other things too, like frame drums and djembe and um, jaw harps and bells and, you know, all the things, all the good things. All the things you're turning around and looking at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, one thing that I've always uh, really appreciated about your music is that every so often you reinvent yourself and you're playing with different people and a slightly different style, a different instrument thrown in and... Um, I love that. I love that because the variety and I spotted you with the flute recently when I um, saw you play. I'm like, ah, this maybe this is the latest. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm really inspired. I grew up really inspired by David Bowie and he was a chameleon and he would do that. He would do just that, reinvent himself all the time. And he was my, you know, my favorite artist when I was growing up, really. Um, and that's what I, I just really never saw that you couldn't do that. And I think it's... Um, reinvention if creative reinvention is the is the spice of life it's what gives me energy to keep keep going and um i do do just that i will go into the void where i will completely close down all logic and um all linear thought and i will invent what do i want my life to feel like for a little while what it's not what do I want the music to sound like it's what I what do I want it to feel like okay so what instrument or what 
um, genre or what people, what do I need to be playing in order to make my music, my life feel that way? And then I'm guided by that. That's how I write music and that's yeah, how I create albums and it's all from the, the feeling, the atmosphere. Mm. And so how has astrology, like when did that come into your life? And yeah, how so working with the music? It, um, yeah, well, the first time I ever heard of astrology, I, I would have been about six or seven. And somebody came up to me with a book in my street and said, when's your birthday? And I said, 28th of October. And they looked in the book and they said, you're a Scorpio. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm nothing that you've got in your book and turned around and, and, and hurried away, which is just the perfect Scorpio answer to that question. That's the first, I remember that very clearly. Um, and the next thing I remember is at about 14, 15, uh, I went to an alternative school, Auckland Metropolitan College, and there was we were really encouraged to um, to pick our own um, courses. You know, like this was it wasn't you, you were given a choice, a whole bunch of choices of courses that you could do, and we chose our own courses. So I was already used to doing workshops and courses at school, and I saw up the road there was an astrological center of some kind, and they were offering a night course and I was about 14 and it wasn't actually in my day time school but I decided I would do that course as part of my school work so I did that at, um, at like an evening class and I did it for I guess I would have done a few of them because once I get onto something if I like it I stick with it so I so at around about 14 15 I was studying astrology and also when I was a, um, at, a, uh, at some point um, there was this witch's shop started to pop up around the place. It was a place called Dragon's Den in the 90s that was in Mount Eden Road. And they were, you know, there was a lot of astrology people, crystals and witchy spells and things in that shop. That really interested me too. Um, and then I would often go and have astrological readings. And I was really exploring. I actually had um, one of my favorite astrologers at that time in the 90s was the one of the other your other future guests, Franchella Flosky-Weiber. And I would go and see her and I would be always like testing, what can you ask? Like I wanted direction. I really wanted to know what the hell should I be doing? Like should I be touring or should I be staying home or should I be making an album or what should I be doing and I loved the way that she could never actually answer those kinds of questions she would always just force me to look at my life purpose and who I was and what I really wanted to do as a soul as a spirit and then uh, and how she was like guiding me to to allow the material things in life to uh, arrive after making that and that those important decisions about what are we really here for. So that was the, when the sort of first tension started to creep in for me, like is, is astrology a mundane thing or is it an esoteric thing? Like what is it? So I got really enthusiastic about it um, when I was working with her. I never considered reading for other people, though. Um, I, I, would, I mean, for years and years, I've been watching podcasts and doing courses and reading books and always, you know, I do charts for my friends or talk about um, with my friends, always really excited, you know, somebody would bring the North Node book home and we'd read it and then I'd love learning all about it. Then, then I would go around analysing and people would love to hear what I had to say. But it actually wasn't until the lockdown, like last year, when I was suddenly in lockdown and unable to earn money as a music 
as a music teacher and as a musician, I really had to think, what am I going to do? And that's when the idea of te of reading for people um, professionally came along and it just it just came very easily like it was it didn't take much so you know you're on the right track when you when you do something and that comes back quite easily I think just before that I'd done a couple of workshops at the festivals actually astrology workshops at the festivals that year because that's the other thing I like to change all the time right is what I offer at the festivals for workshops if it's songwriting or facilitation training then I started doing the astrology um uh, workshops at festivals so then I started uh, doing readings for people so I'm quite new to the reading you know professional uh, reading for other people it's just a couple of years but um, I've had quite a lot of clients in this during all these lockdowns people want to know and and my approach is a little bit like what I learned from Franchelle with regard to although a diff very different methodology um, but the idea of not so much telling you um, the mundane things that are going to happen in your life but it's really guiding people towards um the, the what the incarnation that we've been that we've come here and really needs in order to evolve it's very much about the evol evolution of the soul and uh and the life path from from that perspective it's what lights me up yeah and and how did how do music and astrology fit in together for you? Are they separate? Are they intertwined? Mm, yeah, that's a really great question, Sarah. Um, and and I guess not something that I've given a lot of thought to. I've been a musician like all my life. That is my main occupation. To, you know, like that, most of my study, my university study, um, most of my. Uh, most of my life, most of my career has been as a professional musician. So um, the ast astrology has run alongside that as an interest, but not as something that I have, uh, the music was always more, um, uh, I, I guess just, it's just called me stronger. It, 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 it felt much more of an obvious life path for me. It had um, just more juice in it. It wasn't, it, I mean, it wasn't really a consideration for me to work with astrology with other people until, until it was. And when it was, it was kind of because I couldn't work with music. But now I do feel differently about it. Like I think that that was the circumstances that set up me sort of needing to find that realisation. Um, it sort of like came imposed from the outside. Um, but now that I'm here, I am finding that the connections that I can have with people, in a sense, there is an element of music to an astrological reading. There's an aspect of improvisation because we have kind of like in music, you might have, um, you, you write a song or you know how the song is supposed to be played, but in the interpretation that you have in the moment, it comes out, it might come out quite different that's like an astrology reading I can do a whole bunch of research and sit down thinking this is what's important this is what's important this is what's important two minutes into the reading actually being with the person and feeling into who they are and what what their needs are I might think actually that's not the, what's important I need to talk about this um what else is similar music and astrology just as I'm talking I'm realizing that there's an aspect of sensitivity there's a sensitivity to the the person who's receiving their experience so when giving an astrology reading that 
the utmost care is necessary to create a situation where the the, the querent, the person asking the questions that you're reading for, um, they, they are trusting you with the, the in, a, in a place of complete vulnerability, allowing you to sort of tr uh, tread through their earliest memories, for example, or, or some of their darkest nights in order to f help find the light or help find the moments of transformation. So in music as well, in performing music, there is an aspect of incredible sensitivity to the experience of the audience and to where the audience needs to go. Though it is different because as a musician, it tends to be more guided. Like I know where I want to take you as a musician. I want to take you into some form of mystery, some magic world, some otherly place. So I will do these things that I think will arrive at the place where we are there together. Whereas as an astrologer, it's really the person you, you, for example, you're guiding me. You're, it's like you're guiding me and I'm dancing or using words that, and, and images that help that I, and I can feel it's like I can feel with the same part of me that feels music I can feel when I'm on track sometimes I might be reading for somebody and I will start to cry I will feel emotion because I'm talking about something and I just I get a, gl a, a glimmer and it's like I am guided by what's happening for that person even though they're, they're on the other side usually of a computer screen so it's it's a, there's a lot of mystery there that they are different they are different, but there are similarities. I, I wonder if one of the similarities would be that both astrology and music uses like a logic base of how to do something, but then always has that sensitivity and intuition, like it's a left-right brain match that you need yeah. to use both sides. Yeah, th that sounds good. That, yeah. But what took me like five minutes to say, you said in one sentence, yeah, that's great. Yeah, but I wouldn't have said it unless you'd been talking for that five minutes, right? Yeah, but I think that I think that's right. We're on the same we're on the same page now. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember that you were actually the first person who mentioned anything about these astrological midlife transits to me. Um back when I was having a hard time in my Pluto square and you're like, maybe it's an astrology transit thing. There's this thing mm -hmm. called Uranus opposition. I went off and I learned about them and went, oh, right, there's a series of them. And that was right yeah. at the beginning. And now I'm in the yeah. middle, still kind of waiting yeah. for Uranus to speed up and bang me in its opposition kind of um, shake up. Right. Is that where you're at now? Yeah. 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 Um, how was your midlife? How did it affect your life? all those yeah so so you what you suggested i do was to just go back and see exactly the dates of when we had things happen um so the first one that the pluto square pluto this for me i was 36 um at this time so um and it went there was a retrograde as well so it actually went from for you know for a full year and a half basically um that it was popping around on, on the degree. So probably would it even be a little bit longer. So 36 was the year. I always knew that I would turn 36 in the year 2000. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I always knew that I, that I would. Um, and uh, so I was 36 in, so the, the Pluto square started in March, 2001, or more or less. 
So I always knew what I would be doing in the year 2000 and had had, you know, 36 years to prepare for it. But I had given no thought whatsoever to what would happen in the years to follow. And I had already achieved most of the things that I had planned with regards to my musical career. I mean, I had done a lot of playing, a lot of tours, a lot of gigs, a lot of albums, and I had um, had a lot of amazing musical experiences by that time. Um, And it was all going quite well, you know, like I I had a great band and we were starting to get, you know, good gigs and it was satisfying, but there was a sense in me that there needed to be a change. Then it wasn't, it, it was, I was no longer moving up you know, it felt like I was now either plateauing in some way inside myself spiritually or or on the other side of it. It just felt like I had, to a certain extent, in, in because the music industry is very competitive and it is um, takes a lot of energy to maintain um, the promotions necessary to keep the machine going. And I felt that I was kind of over it. Now, it's not that I was over playing music. I will never be over playing music, but I certainly was over pushing myself as um, a personality in the, in the, and, and hustling. I was over hustling. And, uh, and that was that's something that really came from the inside. So what I did at that point is that, because I've always known, you know, so when you, when you come to a, a standstill with something, you can either drop it or you can go deeper. I decided I would try going deeper, so I went to university. I hadn't gone to university out of school because I'd gone straight into playing music. So that I was living in Australia by the time I was 18, already just doing as much band stuff as I could, and then sort of followed over, went over to England and, you know, more travel. Um, so I had not done any university study, and I was teaching, though. So I was asked to to teach a course at a place called Mainz, the Music and Audio Institute of New Zealand, while I was teaching this course, which was things like um, guitar as a second instrument and, and voice for, as a second instrument, these kind of, of, of classes, I realized that the students were learning things I didn't know. And I was really interested by that, particularly with music theory and with um, oral oral training, that I, I didn't have the skills that they had, or that they were learning. So I decided to um, to enroll as a student in the second year of that course. So that's what started. I, I did one year of a diploma and then I went to university and did a BA and a, um, a BPERF Arts and then a honours and a master's in music and started until I was teaching at the university. So I went in deeper into a, I learned about jazz. You know, I had never studied jazz before and jazz is something that you have access to if you learn, if you take on music theory. And so in order to do that, I had to learn all the things, all the, all the different scales and different improvisation um, techniques. And um, it was a very deep dive as, as, as tertiary study is. It was a very deep midlife dive into um, not just music, but, you, you know, being at university, being, ending up being one of the teachers on those courses. 
So a bit of culture shock, but that must have made you such an amazing musician, even more so, because jazz is hard, and every jazz musician I've ever met is incredible because you have to be to play jazz. Yeah, well, I'm not I'm not a jazz musician, but I did do some of the courses, so I know how to talk to jazz musicians. I know how to, to write the music and set things up so that I can play with jazz musicians. In order to do that, I did do two years on the jazz course on the as a guitarist. So I, I I know what I can and can't do. I did learn a lot. Like I can I can fulfill some roles um, within jazz, but I'm it's more that I learned some things that I could take into my music. And certainly in terms of the theory and the oral skills um, and the improvisation skills, um, yeah, I learned heaps. Yeah, but no, I'm, I'm absolutely not a jazz musician. That is a it's a dark art. Yes. <laughs> Um, so during that Pluto Square when you were like reinventing yourself and sometimes they say that the Pluto Square helps you confront your biggest fear D did you? Um, I think my biggest I have new biggest fears all the time like I th there's a lot of fear out here in the world um, yeah being human involves a lot of fears so so um I, th I, I don't know about that. I, I mean, there were fears, perhaps not the biggest one. So let me just take out the word biggest and go, did I confront some fears? Sure. Um, the fear of, there was some, yes, there was some stuff around, like a lot of the students I was studying with were, you know, half my age, you know, um, and, and younger people. So I had to face things around being, you know, um, redundant, being um, being old in comparison. I had to face stuff around um interacting with people who I had I had got to a point where I wasn't really interacting a lot with young people in their early 20s at that point I was you know 36 37 38 at around you know around that sort of territory I didn't really have a lot to do with people in their late teens and early 20s and I had to um it was, this was a crash course this was the majority of my workmates of, of my school mates were um young people and that was a huge change for me and that is something that has I have very much learned from, and now my life is populated with people from all ages. So that was a big thing, breaking down that that um, just interacting with people in my own generation. That was a big thing that I had to learn how to do. Um, and I guess appreciating, you know, it, when I say the music industry is is quite competitive. So, but in these courses that we would do, we really had to, we listened to each other. We appreciated each other. There was healthy competition, but we worked a lot not to, um, you know, to, to realize that we were all different, that we had different gifts. We played different styles of music. We had different personalities. So yeah, there was some fears that I had to go through around that. Um, and perhaps, I mean, Pluto is also about power and about, um, uh, and about, yeah, there's, a, there's an element of, of, the, of darkness to Pluto. So I did certainly have to grapple with letting go of earthly power because I think I was on a trajectory working in the music industry of wanting to accumulate power as um, when I say, when I say 
what I mean is influence or um, to build myself up. There's a set of sort of something around wanting to um, have that sense of I've made it or I've 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 put myself in a position where I have some magnetism, some personal power. And then I had to go through a process of letting that go in order to, like I had to let go of my ambition. I had to retire my ambition. It wasn't serving me anymore. And by studying now with people who are, you know, near, you know, 18 or so years younger than me, and most of the time I had to let go of needing to have power over people and learn how to share power. And that, and I don't know if everybody who's listening to this is going to understand what I mean by power. So I can only say, I don't mean um, like, like being powerful. I mean, personal power, it's different. So I just, in good faith, I'm using, using these words. Um, But I think that was a big thing that I had to learn how to let go of. Yeah, with status, status and power. Mm. I can relate to that. Mm. Mm. And how, how about um, the Uranus opposition? That's another biggie. And that's the one that you'd mentioned to me that time. Yeah, well, I always think, I, I mean, I think that the Uranus opposition, I tend to think of it as it's quite broad. So I think it kind of comes in. I, well, I'm of the generation that has Pluto and Uranus conjunct. So I've got them both conjunct in uh, Virgo because I was born in 1964. So they were just coming into their strong conjunction in 65. So that they're, they're totally waxing in. So it kind of like Pluto square Pluto was also Pluto square Uranus. Um, and my Uranus opposite. And I have the two opposite Chiron as well. So I have Pluto's um, conjunct um Uranus and they're both opposite Chiron in the year I was born so anything that hits one hits hits them all um so the the Uranus opposition flavor for me is the the, if there is something that you haven't done yet now's the time you're going to do it there might be something that you're sitting on that you that you've always sort of considered considered in the back of your mind, but but possibly, well, in my case, going back to school, going to going to university, I hated school. I, I hated it as a, as a kid. I was so bored at school, even at the alternative school. It was just killing time for me. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. And if I didn't have to go, I wouldn't. And I would go somewhere else. I spent so much time at op shops, you know, um, at markets, um, you know, Cook Street Market in those days. On Fridays, I would just be there every week, all day. You know, that was Fridays was, wasn't even a day. I would go to the movies in town. I saw The Last Waltz like seven times. I saw the hair movie 10 times, all during school time. I just there was, I had no interest in being there at all so for me deciding uh, university wasn't even a consideration it was like what the why on earth would I want what I want to, to do that it would be like a horror so for me the thing of I suppose in my family my parents had met pretty much at university or just beforehand they'd gone to university together the same university the same music department that I ended up in um, so it was going and being a student in a tertiary um, institution, for me, that was my satin return. So uh, my, um, sorry, Uranus opposition. And, and you would have been um, at university for a while too, doing an undergraduate and a yep. master's. 
Yeah, wow. that's right. Yeah, yeah. So around February 2007, which is which I was at the age um, 43, around about then, um, this is when the Uranus, opposite Uranus, was strong and it was also, of course, conjunct Chiron. Yeah, so um, Uranus conjunct Chiron. So this is pretty much when I was finishing my last year of study. And then I did a, a couple of years of uh, teaching. So I did a couple of years uh, lecturing um, as a, was called a senior tutor role. It was about 20 hours a week. And you're like, like an assistant to the um, people running the, the course. Um, yeah, so that was, I suppose, um another climax really of energetic climax another moment where I reached the pinnacle of um what I had set out to do at the beginning of that journey and then a couple of years later in two, in 2010 um I gave it away like I I just realized I, I felt that I I had done it so I I did the thing that I that needed to be done which was finally Karen went to friggin school <laughs> That was the thing I needed to do, you know, some men need to go and buy a red sports car or some women might need to get a boob job. I just needed to go to school. Um, so I did it. And then in 2010, I uh, just felt so bored in my soul and I was still going through all the motions, but my heart was just full of absolute boredom. Um, I couldn't hand, I wasn't handling it emotionally at, at all, just the day in, day out kind of grind of it. And I, I went to a bar and met some musicians um, from a foreign country who just seemed way more interesting than anybody else that I knew at that time. I think I'd left my job two months later and just gave up everything and started living in a van with them and ended up traveling overseas. So it's like I always, always probably will be a bit of a wanderer and a bit of a chameleon, but at least I managed to hold for that midlife period that particular midlife period managed to hold a vision which was yeah I actually held some st some stability <laughs> oh, I remember that band I I saw you perform probably at uh, Prana Festival at Prana yeah, yeah yeah they were wild wild people but it was great yeah, so and in the middle of all that, so the the um, Neptune square Neptune was actually pretty much that same time as well, December two thousand and six. Yeah, so that was all happening at the same time. I think the Neptune square Neptune energy. I, I do remember um, when I was coming up to some final performances on my um, performing arts degree. I can remember feeling that I really didn't understand what it was we were supposed to be doing like what were we doing I know we'd prepared for um, exams before we pre prepared for performances I'd done screeds of them but I, I had a feeling I, I I just don't really understand what we're doing like I I couldn't quite get it um and so I I remember that Neptune square Neptune energy is kind of being a little bit at sea pretty lost you know, a little bit at sea. And for anybody who might be going through that right now at this time that Neptune is conjunct, you know, virtually conjunct Jupiter and Pisces at the moment, it must, it's, I mean, I feel awash now and it's not even, that's not happening to me, but if that's what's happening for you or um, other people yeah. listening, then yeah, the feeling of being awash and, and um, 
if I could look back on her now, um, I would say to her, just take a year off and, you know, don't, don't worry about, about trying to be, um, to fit into anything right now. Like this is the year to make, to make art and to write, not to do your, you know, some exams and some performance exams and to get stressed. Um, it's, it's almost like I couldn't even get stressed. I, I really wasn't thinking logically at all and those those particular set of performances were not were not good for me at all I remember that I remember that was hard it was hard because I didn't really get the understand what I was doing and I didn't really do very well there's a few things few times I, I bombed um yeah so they they were accompanied of real feelings for me of, of self-judgment and of just feeling like of feeling broken feeling like I'd you know, I'd, I'd really missed some important instructions. I'd, I'd, I, f I gave myself a real hard time, yeah, during some of that as well. And that's what can happen when you're studying at university. You can give yourself a really hard time if you don't do well. So I definitely, yeah, felt no, that. Not just at university. <laughs> True, but particularly so there because mm. there's all the, you know, there's exams and there's competition and there's stress and there's you've paid for the course and, yeah, like mm -hmm. particularly so, yeah. 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 Indeed. And I guess um after that, the next sort of set of midlife um uh transits is the Chiron return, which um started for me around May 2013 till about January 15. Mm -hmm. So um the Chiron return, it's like facing that primary wound facing that that core wound and taking responsibility for it now I was studying astrology at that point I knew what what was happening um so I I have a one I don't know if it's my only core wound but I have an abandonment wound I'm from a from a split family like you know many people so that affected me a lot um so I had the opportunity to go to my recently ex-partner's wedding in Germany and I took it. I went over there, I went to this wedding and um, I was over there for about five months traveling around with him and a whole group of people and his fiance. and then I was at the wedding. Um, for me, that was my kind of like where I allowed myself to work the muscle of the Chiron return it was like working the abandonment wound facing up to it um and just and 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 miraculously I survived I survived I still lived and breathed but there was a lot of um it was quite excruciating to let go of that, of that person at that time um and but also I was really cognizant of what was happening. I really, I knew this was my Chiron return. And I, I, I felt a lot of heartbreak around letting go of that particular relationship. If, um, and uh, I, I did feel a set of some abandonment things came up, but, you know, I was working it consciously. So I, I allowed myself, I wanted to dance at the wedding and I did it. So, um, yeah, so I came back in one piece. But that was a tender, a tender experience, a tender experience. I think the Chiron return for women, especially because it so often coincides with menopause, 
I've noticed that um, my generation is is more uh, aware of menopause than than my mother's generation. Many many women in my mother's generation will say um, I didn't notice menopause. Admit you know they didn't even notice it happening. You know. um, but my generation is usually pretty aware of of, of the change, and um, because the Chiron return often hits at around about the same time, there is a lot of that. Um, uh, understanding how age works, understanding how you no longer turn the same amount of heads as you would have once before. You, and that I don't just mean um, being sexually attractive, I just mean being noticed as a human, you know, walking into a, a, a bank or a shop and uh, once upon a time you could, people would have, you know, um, acknowledged approvingly that I had joined the queue even or, or made sure you, and that now that there might not even be a, a nod of a head and, and I'm realizing that it was because I was taking up space now as an older woman not as a young attractive woman and just the difference in society and how and the place of, of older women in society that that's a, a, um, probably something that's f f familiar to lots of of women coming into their Chiron return. That's um, just a part of it. Yeah, it's just a part of it. I'm not even there, but it angers me. Like I remember someone, um, a colleague a few years ago saying, oh, nobody looks at you once you're 40. And I was, I don't know, 36 or 37 at the time. And I looked at her, my face in shock. And she saw the shock registered on my face. And she said, well, maybe 45, but don't worry, don't worry, it's coming. And I went, oh my God, I can't believe that I live in a society where there's so much ageism and there's so much youth worship and I was working with that kind of material in aged care at the time so it was really in my face and yeah yeah look Sarah I think it's really deep personally I tend to think it's about reproduction I think that when we are fertile we are more um we, people notice us more because we're fertile, because we're potential mates. And when we are no longer fertile, it, we, we hold a different space in society. In society. And, and, and um, I, I just think it's the way, because it's universal. It's not, it's, it's not, it's just so common that that's how people are. I don't think they learn it. I just think it's just, Biological. Uh, instinctual reaction and then it but it is up to us those of us who are aging to um to carry ourselves with self-respect to not turn it on ourselves that's the trick to not turn away from ourselves and of course just like you don't have to be um you know even gay people feel homophobia right and even black people feel racism Right. Well, even old people or people aging feel ageism. And this is the thing that we need to de deprogram is, is, is letting go of what other people's reactions are, what other people think and keeping the pride in ourselves and, and loving ourselves. That's what it all comes down to in the end. But yes, in that Chiron return, that was a time where I really had to, had to grapple with that. And, um, and that was big. that was big. And now I'm coming up to my second Saturn return which will be exact in 2023 and it will coincide with and just like it will coincide with Pluto opposite moon 
Oh. So, um, yeah, Saturn return and Pluto opposite Moon are going to happen in 2023. So that those are big together. Well, Pluto, anything transits are all big, Pluto aren't they? Opposite moon. Pluto opposite Moon. So I've already lost two dear friends who are my own age um, mm. this year two um, incredibly good friends. One of them was a musician I played with in a band um, when I was in, in the early 90s, Lorraine Horstmanshoff from Spinning Wheel. She's recently passed. Um, and earlier this year, an incredible woman who was also an astrologer and an amazing psychic, um, an amazing facilitator and a sculptor, an artist, Carolyn Robinson, very good friends of mine have both passed. And the, another one of my friends over in England is um, telling me at the moment that she has a, a terminal diagnosis. And I am looking at these transits and going, okay. <laughs> You know, um, this is the time when now it's time to um, to make use of every single day. And to if somebody said to me recently, Amy McCoon, the herbalist, said to me recently that, you know, really we're here to learn how to be happy before we die. So this mm. is, you know, this is the time. This is the time in my life when I have I have this whittle, this challenge now to um, to, to, to make positive. And it's it's as it's as tricky as it ever was to do that. But um, this is the challenge. So this is I, I know that's what my life is about now. And um, hopefully this these these transits will go really really well, and I'll just get really really responsible. And my Pluto opposite Moon will just be a transformation of what it is to my my deepest darkest femininity. Um, and and I'll still be here in twenty years time. Um, but uh, looking, it, it's, it is, does look a little bit um, foreboding sort of on the outset to look at those two things coming at the same time with the, with the year that I've had this year regarding my friends. Yeah. Mm. And I, I flick through the ephemeris, which shows all the planets and positions. And I look through this month, for example, as before I went to bed, I decided to read the ephemeris just for, just for fun. And then I was thinking about how a year ago I was looking forward and how life is so different to how I might have thought or like when I was looking at it a year ago or two years ago, oh, what will what will life be like then? And try I try and imagine it because I've got lots of air in my chart. And then I I reflect that life just life never turns out how you expect. And you can prep all the all the astrology podcasts and, and videos and I like to do that too and uh, like you do um but I, and then I wonder like what will that feel like to actually yeah, actually exactly. go through it and that's a bit of a practice yeah. for me is what does this feel like and there's been a few transits which I've been oh wow I know what this transit is I can feel it and then there's others that are, I, I just haven't quite got Earlier, you mentioned uh, the upcoming Jupiter and Neptune transit. So that's what yeah. I was thinking of when I was speaking yeah, just yeah, now. Yeah, but you I want know. to talk a little they, bit about that one? They, they're it's just, coming up. It just, um, just sounds April. amazing. And I can really feel it coming in already. I, I, um, we, we're just leaving Pisces season and coming into Aries time. But with um, Jupiter and, and Neptune coming up to conjunct in Pisces, it's like the traditional ruler and the modern ruler of Pisces dancing in divine union in their, in their sign, which is the sign of the boundaryless ocean, 
and the, the ocean of art and love and imagery. Um, it's a, of the ability to uh, communicate without words, um, incredible sensitivity. I think it's a time for a prayer and acknowledgement of what lies beyond the, what is visible it, um, to go deep into the world of the mystery, deep into the world of love. It, it's a time of love, de- um, not necessarily just love between two people, but love between oneself and, and, and the earth, love between oneself and the ocean, between the, um, humanity as an ocean. Yeah. Um, how to plug in, how to play one's part, how to be one of the school of fishes, just one fish in a school of, you know, five billion, seven billion. Here we are all swimming together and, and um, being part of part of something much, much bigger than us. And um, I think it's important to trust at this time, to trust in the wisdom of the communities, trust in the wisdom of the body, we, that we are where we need to be, whatever that is, and to allow ourselves um, to pray, to, to pray and trust, and trust that we're being guided and we, we, we are being led by our prayers, by our best intentions. We're being called forward by the intentions that we set as we walk, as we, as we float. Yeah, it's a, definitely a time that we'll be floating. Of course, there's, there's, there could well be a very confusing moment coming up for, for people during this time, during mid-April. could be very confusing for lots of, if, if people are needing to understand and needing to um, have explanations for things, needing to know when something is going to happen and why something happened, yeah, they're probably going to be out of luck. And for, um, for that kind of, for that, for the mercurial, way of looking at the world it's got, could be very very difficult the internet could go down you know we could you know need to just communicate psychically um and to be ready just to be ready to not know what's happening next yeah and to just to walk in the puddles we're coming into the rainy time make oh, sure yeah. we get plenty of plenty of water on our skin drink plenty of water yeah that's what I think. What do you think? Yeah, well, um, d- today when we're talking, uh, there's a, been a lot of rain. So I've been expecting it and I've been saying to my mum, well, you know, Jupiter and Neptune are coming up together. There might be quite a lot of rain. So maybe we should just think about whether or not we go away. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right. I think there could be a lot of rain. Mm, mm. Certainly. Well, there, mind you, there has been uh, a lot of a lot of water over New, New South Wales, isn't there, uh, in Australia? Mm. So it wouldn't. We couldn't just just say it was Jupiter and Neptune that was bringing. No, it but that was that was around the new moon in Pisces, though. Mm. <laughs> so it was still that Pisces. Mm. Uh, but yeah, well, that's what fascinates me about astrology is that you can have, say, a zodiacal sign, and there's there's the wet uh, that where where there's water influence and um and psychic and in music and potentially maybe virus like there's all those different expressions within the same and I, I think that's what took a while to really appreciate 
how complex astrology is because you can get one interpretation of something and then a complete different interpretation um using different qualities of that zodiacal sign or planet etc so um it's it's just let's let's dive in deep because it's Pisces. definitely yeah <laughs> perfect yeah i have a self node that's all i have in pisces so i just go oh yep yep i've done it before <laughs> <Self-node> <laughs> representing the past life yeah mm. great so how can people find you um have a reading with you learn music yeah um my website karenhunter.com k-a-r-e-n-h-u-n-t-e-r.com that's probably the easiest way i'm on facebook and instagram as well and you're welcome to uh, follow me or contact me there um yeah and i'm on waiheke island a lot of the time i'm also in auckland and very easy to contact on zoom so yeah great well thanks so much for your time and happy thank you for having me sarah (laughs) yeah exactly and best wishes to you too for your songwriting and singing and all the things you do best wishes for your podcast thank you As a music piece today, Karina and I were planning on meeting up and recording something together, but thanks to the dreaded Lurgy going around, we were unable to. Instead, I released a song on YouTube that I wrote half a lifetime ago. Karina and I agreed that I would challenge myself by sharing music more on social media, hence the link with the show today. It is a simple recording made on my phone, on my back veranda, so I've had to throw my perfectionism to the wind. I wrote this song in the Canadian Rockies when I had first arrived there, fairly fresh out of university, and blown away by how different the mountains were from the Southern Alps here in Aotearoa. Mountains have that gift of aligning me with spirit, and I wrote many songs during that period, with Neptune crossing over several planets in my birth chart. Here is Love is Defined. Oh, uh-huh. 
is brought to you from Aotearoa, New Zealand by www.sarahmarlowspence.com Theme music is by Sarah Marlow Spence and Saraswati Marie Willis and art by Samantha Hepburn. <laughs>